Check out the Love and Abuse podcast over at loveandabuse.com and also the Mean Workbook to help you navigate and heal through difficult relationships. One person wrote, I found your workbook concise, pointed, and I loved that you said the things that needed to be said out loud, things I truly needed to hear. Check it out over at loveandabuse.com. Life presents the toughest challenges. Every day you are faced with decisions that test your ability to express who you really want to be in this world. We're told to keep saying affirmations and keep thinking positively, but what do you do when that stuff doesn't work? Welcome to the Overwhelmed Brain, where you'll learn to make decisions that are right for you so that you can create the life you want now. Hello, welcome to the show. I am Paul, thy host of the Overwhelmed Brain. <laughs> and I'm here to help you increase your emotional intelligence so that you can avoid dysfunction, handle toxic situations with grace and ease, and show up as your authentic self. Everything I talk about in this show is my personal opinion and is meant for informational and educational purposes only. Always consult a medical or psychological professional before making any changes that could affect your physical or mental health. All right, today is going to be episode one of something that I'm doing that's a little unique and will also explain my little introduction. Uh, this is going to be episode one of the 10 Commandments of Personal Power. I don't normally go into the religious realm and I won't be doing that today. I'm just using that because we all know those words, the 10 Commandments, but Today, I'm going to discuss five commandments of personal power, and I think, uh, I think it'll be interesting, especially the fifth one, because I think that will be uh, an interesting one for people to get into a different space when it comes to being around others, thinking about others, how others show up in our lives, and how we relate to them. And uh, it's, I think, going to be probably one of the more important commandments of this episode. So today is going to be five of the 10. I don't know when I'm going to make the second half, probably the next episode, but it may not be. We'll just see what happens. But I'm going to call this episode part one, just so I make myself accountable. If I make myself accountable, I know it'll happen. And I want it to be interesting and helpful for you as well because I want you to keep your power or get it back. I want you to have personal power or empowerment, the ability to make the right decisions for you. That's how I view personal power is having choices in your life to make decisions that you want to make, to take a path that you want to take, to make the right choices in life. And when I say right, I don't necessarily mean in a global sense where it has to be socially acceptable or anything like that, although it's helpful when it is. Uh, but I'm talking about choices that you know you probably should or need to make for you, but maybe you don't. Um, let me think of a good example. A good example is maybe you work for a tyrant and you've worked for them for years and you are humiliated by them constantly. You don't get paid enough. You don't get breaks. Or if you do, they're stressful. Uh, and you just feel stressed out all the time. 
there's a point in your life when this stuff happens that you have to tell yourself, I'm not going to take anymore. I'm not going to accept this behavior anymore. I tolerate this. I go through it every single day. And you may have good reasons for tolerating it. You may say, well, there's no other work. I need the money. And this is just my lot in life. C-3PO said that. (laughs) This is our lot in life. Well, this could be the thinking. You might believe that you just have to go through these motions. And you might be right. I'm not going to argue with that. There are times in my life where I just had to go through the motions, get through that period of my life knowing that it was going to end one day, not my life, but the period that I was going through, the challenges that I was going through. I needed money, so I had to work. And I had to work in this place that I didn't like, so I kept working there to make enough money to eventually leave. But I also had a job where my wife and I, when I was married, we were broke. And I stayed at that job for three weeks, and we definitely needed money. We had none, and I finally got work. And after three weeks, I felt like I was in a prison. So I quit with my wife's blessings. And when I quit, it was a very happy day. I was thrilled to be out of that prison. Yes, we lost money. We didn't have any more. We had to go back to the soup kitchen. I've told that story before. If you haven't heard it, uh, go back to other episodes a long time ago, actually, where I talked about that. But my wife and I were quite impoverished at that time, and we were relying on her mom for some living space, but we had no money, and we had to go to the soup kitchen every morning. And I finally got work. But being there, it felt so stifling and so oppressive. And there was a point where I realized I'm stuck. There's nothing I can do. We need the money. I have to provide. I am stuck here. No matter what, I am stuck. And realizing I had no choice put me in a state of mind that made me miserable. And on top of that, I couldn't even be creative or expressive because they literally said... Keep your head down and do your work. That was just defeating in so many ways. I hated going there every morning. And then on week four, they introduced another part of my job, something that I was going to hate even more. And I felt like crying. I might have cried. I felt like crying. This was the worst situation. I did not want to be in it. And I called my wife and I said, I I can't believe this. I feel so stifled. I feel like I'm in a prison. I can't even make suggestions. I can't be creative. I can't give them any input. They just want me to sit down, shut up, and do my job. I, I I don't know what to do. And I'll never forget. She said, I support any decision you make. And again, I probably started crying. I'm thinking about it now. It was such a powerful moment for me because... That was her permission to step into my power. And my power was to make the decision to leave, to be out of a situation that felt so stifling, so oppressive. And I went from having absolutely no choice to having a choice. The funny thing is I always had that choice. I could have left, but I didn't like the choice I had. I didn't like the consequence that would have come with that choice. But when I received permission to do it, knowing that we'd be broke again, knowing that we'd be waking up at 6 a.m. going back to the soup kitchen, it was still empowering. It was still a step in a direction that freed me. 
it freed me from this prison that I put myself in. It was a freedom from this oppressed feeling. So when the ability to have a choice was introduced, because I really didn't think I had it before, but when it was introduced, even though making that choice would have put us right back where we were, it was still exactly what I needed to be able to live with myself, to be able to stand in my own integrity and feel like myself and feel comfortable in my own skin. Those are the kind of choices that sometimes you have to make, in my opinion, in order to live a more fulfilling life. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more regarding choice and options and things like that. But I'm introducing this as um, the idea behind personal power or empowerment, where you feel like you have a choice, even when it looks clear that you don't. Because as soon as you introduce that idea that you might have a choice, you could make a different choice, things start to shift in your mind. Nothing could have changed in the outside world and things start to shift in your mind and things can look up. Just introducing the idea or the concept that you have a choice. There's more to talk about on this when we come back. I'm going to go over the first five commandments of personal power and uh, we'll talk about choice and options and things like that as well especially in commandment number five. I wonder if I can add a sound effect here. I was going to add this sound effect at the beginning, but I don't think I set myself up for it. So in post-production, this should sound pretty good. Right now, I'm going to be a little bit vulnerable. Here we go. <laughs> when we come back, we're going to talk about the first five commandments of personal power. <laughs> be right back after this. ever dealt with anxiety or depression um, but from what I've read I've never done this myself but from what I've read CBT not CBD CBT <laughs> cognitive behavioral therapy uh, it might be CBD as well but I don't know uh, cognitive behavioral therapy it has been proven to be really good with anxiety so if you're experiencing anxiety or depression CBT cognitive behavioral therapy is supposed to be excellent for that I've read that in multiple places, and I've also confirmed that by going to BetterHelp.com. You've heard me talk about BetterHelp.com. If you haven't, it is a professional online counseling service that you can use through a messaging system or on the phone or on video chat. You don't have to leave your house. You don't have to leave your car. When you sign up, they assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist you connect in a safe and private online environment. It's just a convenient way to communicate with someone that can help you through whatever you're going through. And I was interested to find out if BetterHelp had CBT, and they do. They have professionals that have been trained in cognitive behavioral therapy, and you can read more on their website. But I wanted to tell you about it because I want to make sure that you know that BetterHelp offers professional licensed trained counselors and therapists that are there for you and they offer such a great service i got to vet their service i got to talk to at least two or three therapists and find out how their service works and i used their different systems and you can go in and like i said they assess your needs and they connect you with a therapist and 
if that therapist isn't a perfect fit for you, you can change therapists. So this is another difference. So it's a really neat system. It's especially helpful for people that um, really can't get out or don't want to get out or like the security of being behind a screen or on the phone in the comforter of their own home or outside on a hammock. Wherever you want to talk, they're available to you. And uh, you can check them out over at betterhelp.com forward slash brain. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com forward slash brain. If you use the forward slash brain, you'll get 10% off your first month. And um, they're just a great alternative to traditional offline counseling. And uh, financial aid's available too. So if you're looking for help there, they may have uh, financial aid for you. The service is available for clients worldwide. There's a broad range of expertise available. They deal with all kinds of things. So go ahead, check them out. Betterhelp.com. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com forward slash brain. I want you to start living a happier life today. Get 10% off your first month. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash brain. Join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health. Welcome back. These are the first five commandments of personal power. And um, I'm creating these because I want you to be free of any old emotional baggage that uh, you no longer need to carry around. I want you to get one step closer to enlightenment. (laughs) Now, stay with me. When it comes to what I teach and how I coach others, I view enlightenment as lightening the load of emotional triggers and toxic behavior that can get so heavy every year you carry them. When I started healing and growing and going through all my stuff and processing it and releasing it, that releasing was lightening the load. And that's how I view, in this context, enlightenment. Yes, we can talk about enlightenment in other ways, but let's talk about enlightenment with personal power. How can we lighten the emotional baggage and feel free? I mean, it literally felt lighter. After I healed from some major stuff in my life, I felt lighter. The emotional triggers that used to be there and used to bounce around in my head all the time and come out in disastrous and destructive ways, when that's not there, what is? It felt like empty space. I tell you what, when you've been carrying around emotional triggers for years, like since childhood, empty space is so welcome (laughs) because you can start over, you can start fresh and start building what you want in there. That's what I call enlightenment. You lighten the emotional baggage to make room for something that you want in there. So that's what we're doing. We're getting toward enlightenment in the context of personal power. I want you to enlighten your dysfunctional load so that you can reach fulfillment in yourself. Let's heal some old emotional wounds or at least address them if they're still an issue. And let's realize our own toxic and dysfunctional behaviors so that we can stop sabotaging ourselves. I want you to live life according to your choice. Life may not be on your terms, but you almost always have a choice. And I realize that not all choices are easy or even possible, but there's a good reason you should always believe in choice as opposed to believing you have none at all. So I'm hoping that these commandments of personal power will help you realize there actually may be more choice in your life 
to help you gain enlightenment. Ready for this? Number one, thou shalt accept that you matter and your opinion is valid. How important is that? This is a no-brainer. This doesn't mean that you're always right and it doesn't mean you carry yourself around in arrogance with disregard for others. It means that what you have to say matters. And if someone doesn't give you the opportunity to allow your opinion to be heard, then remember that you matter and your opinion is valid. It's easier to say than do. I totally understand. But if you're going to do affirmations, that's a great affirmation. The affirmation, except this might be hard to say, uh, thou shalt accept that you matter and your opinion is valid. How about I matter? My opinion is valid. You know how many times that would come in handy? <laughs> so depending on your situation, depending on your relationship with people and uh, where you are and what the circumstances are, I always say in my other podcast, Love and Abuse, always pick your battles wisely. Uh, if you know someone's going to be aggressive or violent and you don't want to get in that situation, then some battles you want to avoid. But remember that you matter and your opinion is valid. Your opinion may not be right. <laughs> well, they're actually opinions can't be wrong because they're opinions, right? I know somebody's already yelled that into their podcast player, but I don't want you to think that your opinion is wrong. You may be told that your opinion is wrong, and it may be based on what you believe are facts, but you still have a right to them. You still have a right to opinions. So don't sell yourself short. Know that you matter. Your voice matters. Your thoughts matter. Your opinions matter. So you don't deserve invalidation. Put that as a brick in your foundation, your personal power foundation. The number two commandment of personal power is... Thou shalt always consider what you can do instead of getting stuck in what you believe you can't. Almost every single one of my relationships, I believed that if my partner did something I didn't like, that I would either have to live with it or try to change her. I never considered changing me. I never considered leaving. I never considered accepting her behavior as permanent and there's nothing I can do about it so I'll just leave it be but there's almost always another option so my thought was there's nothing I can do I was stuck and I stayed in the mindset believing I couldn't do anything about it so this commandment always consider what you can do instead of getting stuck in what you believe you can't helps to open the door to more options and that's what we were talking about earlier more options more choices in fact, there's almost always another option. But where we get stuck is that we take those options off the table. We don't want to consider those options. And the problem with that is what we took off the table might be the very thing that takes us out of suffering or moves us in a new direction. I left some of the choices in my life off the table because I didn't want to consider them as options. I didn't think I had to. I didn't think there was a choice. So by leaving those options off the table, in my relationships especially, what ended up happening for me and for my partners in life is that we both suffered. We're going to open this up a little bit more in a little bit. Um, number three, thou shalt realize and hold true that you are not the cause of other people's toxic behavior. 
If you're going to take one thing away from this episode, know that no matter how much you messed up or you think you messed up, if someone is toxic and they're causing you harm in some way, you are not the cause. They are either making a conscious choice to behave that way or they could be stuck in an unconscious pattern of coping, survival, or some other emotional state that is unhealthy for them and those around them. But their unhealthy state is not your doing, even if they're trying to convince you that it is or you believe it is. Like if you did something terrible and now you're being mistreated, you might believe that you deserve dysfunctional or toxic behavior. Because let me refer back to uh, commandment number two. Consider what you can do instead of believing that you are stuck with what you can't. If you know you have other choices, even hard ones, then are you actually exposing yourself to toxic behavior? And let me explain that because um, reading my notes here (laughs) doesn't really make sense 100%. What it means is that sometimes we're in a toxic situation and we're being mistreated, we're suffering through it, and uh, we believe we have no choice, so that keeps us where we are. However, sometimes we stay in the toxic situation and we blame the other person even though we have a choice that perhaps we don't want to make or we think we can't make to get out of that toxic situation, but we don't. So we spend our time blaming the other person and not taking action ourselves. And this is thin ice. I know there are people that really have no choice. They have no money. They have no means. They have no friends. They have no way to get out of what they're doing. I totally get that. I'm not talking to you, although I highly recommend you start building a support system and you start building yourself in a way that gives you more power. And I've talked about that in other episodes. I'm not going to focus on that now. And I definitely feel for your position. But even then, even if you're in the most dire of circumstances, sometimes there are choices that we leave off the table because we don't want to make them. We don't want to deal with the consequences. My mom didn't make a choice for 40 years to leave her abusive alcoholic husband. She didn't want to make the choice because she was so afraid of the unknown. She was afraid of what might happen to her and she had no idea what to do. She just knew that staying in an abusive relationship was a known evil as opposed to an unknown path. And she became comfortable with the known evil. She realized that she made it the day before, so she'll make it the next day. That was her choice. Even though there were other choices on the table for her, including my siblings and I offering her money and a place to live and all that, but she wouldn't take it. And that was her choice. So she took those choices off the table for her because of fear. And, you know, I'm not putting her down for it, but I'm giving you some insight on how some people might take choices off the table, leaving them in a place of suffering and keeping them exposed to toxic or dysfunctional behavior. So, When you realize and hold true that you are not the cause of other people's toxic behavior, if you stop blaming yourself for what they're doing to you, this gives you power. doesn't address exactly what I just said, (laughs) but if they convince you that you're the cause of their unhealthy or toxic behavior, remember they have a choice too. If they believe you're the cause and you're a problem, they have a choice too. They have a choice to leave you or leave you alone. They have a choice not to communicate with you anymore. They have choices. 
And sometimes those choices are harder. You can't always not communicate with someone, but they can limit the communication. There's, there's ways to work with that, but they have a choice too. So this is one of my more favorite commandments, if you want to call it that, is when there are things happening in your life by other people and they're very toxic or very dysfunctional and we could choose to sit and complain about those things, hoping and wishing they change when in reality we could make the change. And I'm going to talk about that shortly because uh, it's coming up, I think, uh, in number five actually. But number four, let's go to number four commandment of personal power. Thou shalt know your own boundaries so well that there's no question in your mind if one's been violated. I want you to know your boundaries so well that when someone violates one of your boundaries, there's no doubt in your mind what just happened. That's the problem sometimes is that sometimes we give people the benefit of doubt. So we let them get away with it. And what ends up happening is we end up developing higher tolerance and higher resilience. So we keep giving them the benefit of the doubt. And then pretty soon we're just submitting to all their bad behavior. I definitely don't want you to be there. And I know not everyone listening is there, but there are some people that hear this loud and clear. Know your own boundaries so well that there's no question in your mind if one has been violated. A personal boundary, in case you need a refresher, is what you will and won't accept in any area of your life. When you know your boundaries, you won't question if a behavior you just witnessed is bad. This is where we could go one way or the other. What I just witnessed, was it bad? I don't know. Well, if you know your boundaries, you'll know. And instead of giving someone the benefit of the doubt, you'll act. You can act kindly with assertiveness, or if the situation calls for it, you can act kindly but even more assertive. <laughs> I like what um, Dalton in that movie Roadhouse, I don't know if it's an 80s or 90s movie, Patrick Swayze did a movie called Roadhouse, and he was training bouncers in a bar to handle tough customers. And he said, what I want you to do is be nice. And they were all looking at him and they said, what? Be nice. Some of these people are rough and they're hard to deal with. And he said, just be nice until it's time to not be nice. And I like that rule. I call it honoring yourself while loving others. Be nice until it's time to not be nice. So you can honor your own boundaries by sharing your boundaries in a kind way. Hey, would you mind not doing that again? That's a kind way to tell someone of a boundary. And it's also a permissive way. You are permitting them the choice to do it or not. You are empowering them with the choice to violate your boundary again. And I think that's very fair. And it also reveals who they are. Hey, would you mind not doing that again? And if they say, whoa, what's the problem? I would just like for you not to do that again. I appreciate it. I'm still being kind. I'm being assertive, but in a very gentle way. Would you mind, please, not doing that again? You know, I'll go the extra mile. I say, please. And if they go, well, <laughs> fine. It's great. Thank you. That's it. If they're huffy about it, if they're angry, they might get passive aggressive. But you stated your boundary in a nice way until it's time to not be nice. And all I mean by that is sometimes you have to get more assertive. I'm going to ask you to stop one more time. That sounds like I'm talking to a kid, but some people, <laughs> they might need to hear it this way. Or if you want to try it a different way, hey, look, I asked you nice once. 
I'm going to ask you one more time. If you don't stop doing this, I'm walking out the door or I'm going to stop this conversation. Period. It doesn't have to get into opinions. It doesn't have to get into emotions. You're stating a fact. Hey, if this doesn't stop, I have to do the following. It's just stating a fact. And um, it's very helpful for you to state it this way to show that you're serious and also give them very little perception of your emotions. And I say this with some hesitation because it doesn't mean you shouldn't show your emotions or connect with your emotions or be upset that they're doing it. Like, hey, you better back off because I'm really upset that you did that. I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. I'm saying with certain people, it's very important to understand that they will play off your emotions and use them against you. They might say, oh, you're just being overly sensitive. You're just a a wimp. You can't handle it. Whatever they want to say. But when the emotional response comes out, some people can use that against you. So that's neither here nor there. You could certainly go one way or the other. But I prefer to just state my boundary clearly, succinctly. Uh, I don't get into any reasons. I just say, hey, could you please not do that again? If they want a reason, I might say, yeah, it, it, uh, it's disrespectful and I appreciate if you didn't do that again. I'll give them the reason, but don't give them more than you need to. Know your boundaries so well that there's no question in your mind if a boundary has been violated. Now let's get to number five. Number five is one of my favorites because it was one of the biggest lessons I learned in my life and it changed my life. I mean, this commandment, when I changed it in myself, I changed. And when I changed, I felt enlightened. I lightened the emotional baggage. I lightened the load and it cleared away so many emotional triggers and it changed who I was at the deepest level. It changed how I showed up. It changed my behaviors and it changed people around me. They saw me differently. So here it is. Number five commandment of personal power is thou shalt only judge themselves when they are being judgmental toward others. It's a loaded commandment. There's a lot I say in there. You shall only judge yourself when you are being judgmental toward others. There's a lot that I said in there and you can read between the lines, but I want that to sink in. And I also want to explain something very important that will help you shift if you have a challenge stopping yourself from judging or being judgmental toward others. What helped me was learning the difference between judgment and discernment. A judgment usually contains some sort of criticism or unnecessary emotionally charged opinion. For example, saying, that house has the worst paint color I've ever seen. Who are these people? That has an emotionally charged criticism that uh, presumes superiority or righteousness. Whereas a discernment is based more on a general preference instead of a specific emotional response. It is the acceptance of what is. Without the criticism of what it could be or what it isn't. I'm going to reread some of this stuff. I'm going to reiterate it because this stuff, uh, at least when I was writing out my notes, is pretty deep. (laughs) I was trying to figure out if I could hear this and take it in in one shot, and I couldn't. Uh, What I just said was discernment is based more on a general preference. 
So instead of a specific emotional response, it is the acceptance of what is without the criticism of what it could be or what it isn't. I've got a few more one-liners if you want to get a notepad. Uh, (laughs) A discernment might sound like, I don't like that paint color. I prefer blue. You hear the difference. The first one was, that house has the worst paint color I've seen. I've got some emotion in there. I've got some judgment in there, of course. Who are these people? There's some more judgment. But if I discern, it'll be a much simpler phrasing like, I don't like that paint color. I prefer blue. There's still emotion in there, but there's no judgment. It doesn't mean that they're wrong for choosing that paint color or they're bad people or they're idiots. I don't like that paint color. I prefer blue. I know as a listener of the overwhelmed brain, you know the difference between discernment and judgment. I know this, so don't tune out yet. The reason I'm breaking this down to the fifth grade level is because of relationships. Judgment in relationships is one of the most destructive forces that can enter a relationship and just tear it apart. So I'm going to explain why I'm breaking it down so much. Judgments in the context of people, relationships, might sound like this. She's so stupid. That's a judgment. She's so stupid. Even though it's an opinion, it's your opinion, and you have a right to your opinion, and your opinion is valid because it's yours, it's still a judgment. There's judgment in the way it's said. There's judgment in the word stupid because you're assuming a lot. I mean, stupid is a really generalized word that means a lot of things. But saying she's so stupid is what I would call a judgment. But a discernment about a person might sound like this. I would prefer someone else on our team. Now, that could be heard as discriminatory. And somebody might call that a judgment as well. And the line does blur sometimes. But you can hear the difference. She's so stupid compared to, I would prefer someone else on our team. Now, I'm again breaking this down for another reason, because if you understand where the focus is during a judgment and during a discernment, you're going to be able to improve your relationships tenfold. Any relationship you're in, family, friend, romantic, if you can discern and tell the difference of where your focus is for each one, you'll be able to improve your relationships. And This is all about personal power. This is how you get your power back and have more choices in your life. I like to think of judgments toward another person as a personal belief and an expression about how that person should be different. In fact, I said this in an article a long time ago. I have an article called Judgment, the Ultimate Relationship Destroyer over at um, theoverwhelmedbrain.com. And I said judging is when you can't accept the behavior of another person So you impose your standards upon them. When you judge someone, you are looking down at what they do in their life as not acceptable or not good enough for you. So that's a good classification of a judgment. I'm glad I wrote that down a few years ago so I can remember it. But that comes right back to what I said earlier. I like to think of judgments toward another person as a personal belief and expression about how that person should be different. With discernment, I like to think of that as accepting someone as they are, but making a choice about what to do next 
for yourself. Again, where's my focus? On the judgments, it seems to be outside of me. On the discernment, it's inside of me. If you choose discernment over judgment, you won't stay stuck in bad situations. Why? Because discernment is what you want for yourself. And judgment is what you want to change about someone else. Let me say that again. If you choose discernment over judgment, you won't stay stuck in bad situations because discernment is what you want for yourself and judgment is what you want to change about someone else. This came into play in my marriage when I changed judgment to discernment. When I stayed in judgment mode about my wife, it caused me to stay focused on her. When I turned it into discernment, it caused me to stay focused on myself. In the context of what I was going through, I was highly judgmental toward my wife. I had emotional triggers about my wife's behaviors. I didn't want her emotional eating, and I became emotionally abusive. I was not a good husband. I was not a supportive husband because I was so focused on her behaviors, her not meeting my standards, and I believed that we would just be happy if she would just follow the rules which were mine. That was all about judgment, me wanting her to be someone that she wasn't and me wanting her to do things that she either didn't want to do or couldn't. And I placed those standards on her and I made her feel bad for not meeting those standards. It's an awful thing to do to another human being. I know that some people are doing this right now and maybe you're discovering this about yourself and you do this right now. And I'm not calling you a bad person. I was there. I'm just saying it is an awful thing to do to another human being because I want you to imagine how a person feels when they feel like they're never good enough. How would that feel if you knew, no matter what you did or what you tried, you would never be good enough for a person that's supposed to care about you? That hurts. That doesn't feel good at all. If you're doing that to someone that you love and you care about, your focus is too much on them and not on yourself. You are judging and not discerning. For me, I was judging her behaviors. I was watching her. I would be emotionally triggered if she did behaviors I didn't like. So I was always in that external focus mode on her, on my outside environment, everything outside of me. When I turned it around, when I turned it into discernment, it allowed me to focus on my own values, what I wanted for myself, my own boundaries, everything about me. Instead of judging and looking at her to change for me, I decided to look at me and ask myself what I needed to do to either change how I perceive her uh, or leave her or accept her as who she was and everything that she did. I, I could do one of those three things. I could change myself, I could leave, or I could just accept everything as it is. Whether I'm okay with it or not doesn't matter, but if I chose to accept everything as it was, then I don't give myself any freedom to complain about it anymore. I don't give myself any freedom to make her feel bad about it anymore. I just accept it as it is. Those were what I believe my three choices were at the time. And I chose one and three. I, I chose to actually change who I was around her because who I was showing up as was hurtful. 
and I didn't want to be hurtful anymore. So I changed that about myself. I stopped being hurtful. How do they do that? I turned my judgment into discernment. I turned it inward. I started focusing on me and what I wanted to do for me and who I wanted in my life and what I wanted in my life. And I had to ask myself some serious questions like, do I want someone with a sugar addiction? I just threw that out there. It was the first time I took personal responsibility when I was married. I finally took personal responsibility to ask myself, do I want to be with this person? I never wanted to consider that. I always took it off the table. That was never a choice. But once I put it on the table, I made that a choice. It got my mind thinking in different ways. And that's what helped me shift to complete discernment. It helped me shift to the idea that I am responsible for my results because I am choosing to stay in a situation with a person that apparently I have a problem with. So whose fault is that? Is it hers or mine? It was mine. I took responsibility. It was my fault, my problem, my issue. And once I made that choice to focus on myself, to be discerning about what I wanted in my life, I suddenly became more caring, more empathetic, more compassionate, and the judgments were turned off. They, they went away. And when that happened, suddenly she saw a different person and so did I. And it was a complete shift. Now, this was near the end of my marriage. She had already fallen out of love and my marriage didn't last but it was a pivotal moment in both of our lives because not only did she see that I did change, thankfully she saw this new person before we got a divorce because I would hate to leave that impression. And I got to take what I learned with me into my now current and hopefully last relationship ever. And anytime a judgment comes up in my mind that uh, makes me want to focus on her, I remember this. I'm going to be discerning. I'm going to bring it back to myself. I'm going to focus on me. Is this something that I need to change or heal in myself? Is this something that I can't live with and I need to leave? Or is this something that I can just choose to accept and be okay with it? One and three are very similar, but you get what I'm talking about. You focus on yourself and what you need. You be discerning about what you want in your life. Discernment causes you to stay focused on yourself. Judgment causes you to stay focused on others. Only one leads to personal power. Only one leads to enlightenment. The other leads to anger and sadness and upset and manipulation and lying and even cheating and all sorts of things that are unhealthy for you and those around you. When it comes to judgment in your relationship, I have a great article on it at theoverwhelmbrain.com. Just use the search field and type in the word judgment. In fact, I know you can go to Google and just type in judgment in relationships. And I have the first two articles are ones for love and abuse and ones for the overwhelmed brain. I think they're very helpful article. I think they're going to be very helpful for you if you have experienced judgment in any of your relationships. And I don't necessarily talk about discernment in those articles, but I bring it up now because I think it is probably one of the key ingredients to my healing and growth and transition out of that old person that I used to be. And let me just share this with you before we leave. Two more things, or four more things, depending on how you look at this. When you discern, you are more likely to make healthy choices for yourself. When you judge, you are more likely to make unhealthy choices for others. These are all the tweetables, right? <laughs> the next one is, discernment leads to critical thinking about what you want in your life. 
It is a huge component of boundaries. Judgment leads to negative thinking about others and what you want them to do for you. Discernment leads to critical thinking about what you want in your life. It's a huge component of boundaries and judgment leads to negative thinking about others and what you want them to do for you. So if you want to make healthy choices for yourself, be more discerning. If you want to make unhealthy choices for others, be more judgmental. Those are the first five commandments of personal power. I hope they lead to your enlightenment. I hope I didn't make this too preachy. (laughs) And I hope this episode empowers you. We'll be right back with my thank yous and goodbyes and my final words right after this. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. I want to thank our sponsor, BetterHelp. Go to BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com forward slash brain and get 10% off your first month of this amazing service. I also want to thank the patrons of the week. These are the financial backers of the show. They have chosen to support the show monthly, and I am so grateful. I am always reading the names of the patrons every month, and I know them so well now and some new today, but let me read you these. Crystal, thank you. Kelly, Monica, Lorita, Leela, Henry. I recognize all of you. Matt, Christy, Adriana, Julia, Anna, and Veronica. You're brand new. So glad to see you, Veronica. Thanks for joining. This is a different Veronica from last week. Hi, Veronica. (laughs) You're different. I think that's a pretty unique name, Veronica. I like it. Lucy and Holly and Linda. Deborah, thank you so much for continuing to support the show. All of you, Vanessa, Chelsea, Maud, and another Anna. There's two Annas this week. And one Anna wouldn't know the difference from the other Anna, but I am acknowledging you both. So thank you so much. And I also want to thank two people who donated. They chose to support the show by donating. Walter, thank you, Walter. I am grateful for your donation. Thank you for your support. And Lamia, I I think I said that right. Lamia, I apologize if I didn't. But I am so grateful for your support as well. I read the names every week of the people who donate or show their patronage by going to moretob.com. And uh, this is what keeps the show going. And I don't ask you to do it. I'm only saying if you want to do it, if you're receiving value from the show and you want to give back and you can, head over to moretob.com and you'll see the options there. And I appreciate all of you. Thank you again, patrons. And thank you, Walter and Lamia, for your donations. And I want to read you a message that somebody sent me. She said, uh, your podcast has helped me heal myself in areas where I needed healing. I'm very grateful for your podcast and I listen to it often. I was in an emotionally abusive relationship and found them after I got out of that relationship. It made me realize that I wasn't crazy for thinking that things weren't going well and this needed to happen. I now understand this sort of toxic relationship better from the perspective of the abuser as well as the other person, the victim. I've recommended your podcast to numerous other people as well. Thanks for all you do. I admire you because you've went through the change in your life and you're giving back to the world by helping people with your content. God bless you. Best regards. And she didn't give me permission to read her name, but I want to tell you I am so grateful for this message. Thank you so much. You covered in your message half the stuff I talked about today, so I wanted to read this message on the air today. And I am grateful for that. And I read this because she was awakened to her choices. 
she realized that she wasn't going crazy for thinking things weren't going well and that this needed to happen. This doesn't mean I promote separation and divorce and breaking up. I don't promote anything. I just want you to make the right decision for you. If you feel like you're in a toxic situation that won't change, then maybe it's time to put some options on the table that uh, you may not have put there or didn't think was possible. I'm so grateful for this person. Thank you so much for writing. And I'm so glad that you felt empowered to make the decision that helped you change your life. And thank you for your words. I am doing what I can to share what I know so that you and everyone else can get into a space and feel lighter. Take the load off. That's, that's what I want for you. Thank you again. And I just want to mention love and abuse. I talked about it a little bit earlier. I have a podcast called Love and Abuse over at loveandabuse.com. If you want to figure out if you're in an emotionally abusive relationship or you think it's more difficult than it needs to be or maybe you just feel bad all the time and you want to figure out why, head over to loveandabuse.com, check out the podcast, and also you can purchase the workbook there to help you pinpoint the exact behaviors causing the problems in the relationship. Loveandabuse.com. And finally, thank you to Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for some of the music transitions in the overwhelmed brain. And while we're talking about relationships, my final words are going to go over this email, which I've condensed into just a few paragraphs, and I'm going to do my best to answer it efficiently and effectively. Wish me luck. (laughs) This person wrote, we would really like your help. My wife and I listen to all your podcasts. My wife had an affair. I caught her communicating with the person and the affair stopped, or at least This is my assumption that the affair stopped. He didn't exactly write that. She said she felt the marriage was over anyway, so that's why she had the affair. She liked the feeling she had when she was with him. I reacted badly, and I started drinking a lot. I spent months in hate mode, and I had multiple outbursts, angry with her and asking her, how could she do this? I was spiraling down. I did eventually stop drinking, and I started taking medication and going to therapy. I worked hard on myself, and I changed my behavior toward her. But even today, my heart breaks when I think about her with another man. I visualize these scenes where she's with him, and the hurt is enormous, and it's been over a year, and I still have nightmares and panic attacks. She told me that I have been emotionally abusive and forceful in the past, and that drove her to cheat. Now we fight over whose abuse or hurt is worse. While I admitted and apologized and I have changed my behavior and my outlook and everything about me, I now walk on eggshells. Not only that, despite her apologizing for what she did, I cannot get the images, pain, hurt, and betrayal out of my mind. I live with it every day despite on the outside doing everything she wants and needs from me. However, my abuse always resurfaces and she takes no responsibility for pushing my buttons or for her role in the years we've been married. How do we even get over this and rebuild? Is it possible? How do I get this out of my head and her to also move on from the abuse? I feel like a hamster on a wheel living in pain. I want to throw up at the thought of her with another man. What do we do now? Thank you so much. You have amazing insight and I hope you can help us. Okay, so that was the condensed version. I tried to keep their information confidential and private because they both listen to the show and I'm sure they both know that I'm talking to them right now, but I don't want anybody else to know who they are. Uh, This is a situation where I can see both sides and I have 
how can I say this? Um, tough love for both sides. I hope you're okay with tough love. My tough love for you is a couple things that you said I just want you to be aware of. One of them is she takes no responsibility for pushing my buttons. I just want you to sit on that for a second. She takes no responsibility for my reactions. That's what I'm hearing when I read this. She takes no responsibility for my emotional triggers. She takes no responsibility for my anger. This is what I'm hearing. I'm not saying you're saying that, and I think I know what you mean, but I just wanted to convey how you wrote that. She takes no responsibility for pushing my buttons. I think I know what you mean, but I'm reading it back to you because if you convey that sort of attitude or communication style when you're talking with her, you'll probably go around in circles. This is one of those personal responsibility things. You can be judgmental about her and her behavior, or you can be discerning. And discerning in this case could be you looking at yourself and asking yourself, why do I get so triggered? And again, I know what you're trying to say. Uh, She takes no responsibility for her behavior that she knows pushes your buttons, almost as if you're saying she knows it's against my values or she knows it's against my boundaries, yet she does it anyway. That's what I think you're saying, but I want you to be very aware of your communication style and how you convey this information to each other because it doesn't convey a lot of personal responsibility when you say you're responsible for my reactions. That takes personal responsibility out. That means somebody else has control of your life instead of you controlling your life. So this is a mindset that I want you to start adopting for yourself and I want her to start adopting as well. What I do and how I respond and how I behave and my patterns are all about me. If I found out that my girlfriend was lying to me about something, I would be angry, but I would be responsible for that anger, not her. Even though I might feel she betrayed me, I would still be responsible for my reaction. So I really think it's important that you know that your reactions and your responses are your responsibility. That doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. It doesn't mean you won't get emotionally triggered. It doesn't mean that your wife doesn't know that those are emotional triggers for you. It just means you start taking responsibility for those triggers and those behaviors and those reactions just for the mere fact that you are taking responsibility. This is taking responsibility for your role in every interaction. So I'm not going to dwell on that. I just wanted to bring that up. And I think there was something else you said in the email that kind of pointed at her being responsible for the way you behave and the way you act. That can be also seen as emotionally abusive. For example, let me come back to her. If she really said, your behavior caused me to cheat, that's also not taking responsibility. That is saying that it's your fault that I cheated. Now, she may think that's true. She may know she wouldn't have cheated if you didn't treat her well, but cheating is a conscious choice. Cheating takes some effort. I think I heard this yesterday on TV or something. Cheating takes effort. And when I heard that, I thought that's a great way to look at it. Cheating takes effort. It is a conscious choice. You make the choice and you make the arrangements and then you make it happen. It may be hard to stop. It may be tempting, but it's still a conscious choice. So, I'm not saying that either one of you is right or wrong. I just want you to take responsibility for your choices. She needs to take responsibility for her choice. And, you know, here's an example. She needs to say, I did it. I did it and 
whether she regrets it or not. Maybe she doesn't regret it. Maybe she thinks that you are treating her badly. You are treating me badly. I did it and I don't regret it because it made me feel like a woman again. I don't regret it. You know what? Own it. And I hate to say this because it's like going to drive him crazy. It's going to cause him to like melt. It's going to cause you to melt. I'm sorry. But this is the stuff that you're leaving off the table. Maybe she does own it. Maybe she feels so much better because she felt power in that moment when she was with that person. And that may not be a gentle thought to you, but let's just bring this to the forefront. Let's just explode it in front of us. Let's vomit it all over the table. This is everything that I'm going through. Well, this is what I did. And if I were her and I was truly remorseful and I truly didn't mean to hurt you, I knew the marriage was over or I believed it, and we weren't going anywhere, the sex stopped, I don't know your whole situation, but if I was in that space and I knew that I was just going to get divorced anyway and I ended up cheating anyway, I would probably own it. I would say, you know what, I did this and I didn't want to hurt you, but we were going nowhere, so I did it. I'm not saying cheating is the right thing to do. I'm saying before you cheat, you should have a talk. Look, we're not getting along, we're not having sex, or when we do, it's just there's no emotional connection. We need to talk about this. I believe that should happen before any betrayal. I don't think betrayal should happen at all. I mean, you shouldn't consciously betray someone without having a talk, without knowing that there's a way to work things out. Like I heard from someone before that said, you know, I was in a heavily abusive relationship, narcissistic abuse. It was terrible. And I had no way out. And cheating was my only solace. And she said, you know, when you say that cheaters a bad person, and I said, no, cheaters, I'm not saying that they're a bad person. I'm saying that you have a conversation. She goes, well, we've had those conversations. And I said, well, then you did everything you could. And that's what I believe in. You have to do everything you can before that ever happens. And hopefully it doesn't happen. I don't, I don't believe that you should betray or lie or cheat. I think you should have the conversation. Even if the conversation includes, look, I want a connection. And if it's not with you, then I need to find a connection with someone. That may not be a conversation that you have, but it's a lot better being honest and upfront in most cases, unless you're with somebody who might be aggressive or violent. You don't want to do that. But it's a lot better to express all this stuff, to get it out, put it on the table, reach the height of the mountain of challenge of talking about it, and then you get past the peak and the rest of it, it kind of comes out and works things out or it doesn't work out. And I'm not saying you absolutely have to bring it up all the time. I'm saying you should at least have the communication before you cheat. You should at least say, look, I am not happy. Let's talk about this. That might be a good way to start the conversation. So that's for the person who hasn't done this stuff yet. But we're talking about you and your situation. She cheated. Okay, so if she's listening to the show, where are you with this right now? Do you regret it? Maybe you don't. And maybe he doesn't like that idea. But I really want this to be in both of your faces. This needs to end because if it's been over a year and you're still dealing with this, about the year point is when the healing should really start to take place. And if you aren't there yet, there's two articles I want you to read. I'm going to talk about in a second. But if you're not there yet, then this won't end until something changes. His obsessive thoughts about this won't end. And the wife, wherever she is, she needs to get past this too. 
like he said, like she has to get past my emotional abuse. But the problem is his emotional abuse still exists. If anyone's walking on eggshells, maybe it's her. Maybe it's both of you. And because it's both of you, you're triggering each other all the time. So you have these thoughts about her with another man, and she has these thoughts. He's so emotionally abusive. I can't stand him when he's like this. This is why I left in the first place. Whatever her thoughts are, and I'm not saying that she's thinking this, so don't suddenly look at her and go, oh, that's what you're thinking? No, don't do that at all. But I want you to bring this stuff up and actually have a hard conversation. This is my first suggestion. Have the hard conversation on it. The husband talks to the wife and says, I am angry. I am sad. I am upset. I feel betrayed. And the wife says, okay, let me hear everything you have to say about this. Let it all out. If you hate me, say you hate me. If you're angry with me, say you're angry. Whatever it is, let it all out. This is where you create a non-judgmental space, a safe zone for one person to communicate everything that's going on inside them. This is the perfect opportunity to do so where you don't know where the marriage is going. So she opens up that safe space for you because it sounds like you haven't gotten it all out of your system. And maybe when you start to get it all out of your system, you turn into an abuser or you know, somebody that she doesn't want to be around. So she walks away. But I'm asking her if she wants to save this relationship too. I don't even know if this is true for her, but that's a good question as well. Do you want to save this relationship, honey? Do you want to do it? And if she says, yes, I do, or at least I'm willing to try, then this is, I believe, the first step. She opens up the space. She makes it safe. She doesn't have opinions. She doesn't have judgments. She just lets you talk and lets you scream and lets you cry and lets you kick the furniture. Not her, not the dog. <laughs> kick material things. Uh, whatever he needs to do, scream in a pillow and just let it all out. Because eventually... You're not going to have much left to say if you let it all out. But it's very important for her to let him have this space. He needs this. It's not out yet. It's still inside of him. And I know it's inside of him because he can't stop thinking about it. So there's more he hasn't said. And I know he's looking for closure. The closure he's probably never going to get. But the closure has to do with why did you do this? Maybe you just need to be honest. And maybe you have been honest. Maybe the wife has been honest. I did it because this. And it sounds like she told him because you were emotionally abusive. And she also said, I wanted to feel like a woman again. Or I wanted to, I liked how it felt, the way he treated me. And so you, the husband, needs to just vent, release. She gives him the space until he's done. Could take two hours. It could take more. Just let him go. Because he's going to know when he's done. It has to come out. This is what I call pressurized emotional energy stored in the body that hasn't been released yet. And it gets released through the verbal or the physical expression of the person who needs to release it. The verbal expression could be screaming and crying and just saying everything they need to say. And the physical expression is the swinging the arms and, again, in a safe way, not hurting anyone, maybe falling to your knees and just putting your head in your hands and just so angry about everything. But you let him do all that and he's able to get it all out. It may not all come out that day, but there's going to be some relief because it's finally been expressed. And he may say things that are hurtful, that are hateful, that are false, 
that are wrong and that are right. He may say all these things, and I believe you need to let him say it. I believe it needs to come out. This emotional energy is repressed, and it's stored, and it's not coming out. That's part of the closure process, is that when we can't get the emotional energy out, we have to find a way to release that emotional energy so that when we can't figure out why somebody did something to us, at least we can get the emotional energy that's been stored in there. And then we can get past that, and then we can have better conversations about it. See, right now you're both in trigger mode, I think. You're just triggering each other, and it's just going nowhere. But you trigger each other, which causes the interruption of the flow of energy coming out of you, and it stays locked up. So she provides this safe, non-judgmental space, and then... When she's ready to talk, if she wants to, if she has all this repressed negative energy inside her as well, he needs to open up the space too. And you have to restrain yourself. You have to refrain from being opinionated. You have to refrain from being judgmental. You have to refrain from being hurtful. You just have to shut up and listen and take it. I know that's awful because you're the victim in this place, but it sounds like she's been a victim too. It sounds like you've both been victimized. So how do you start fresh? This is one way to do it. You open up the space for each other, but you both get your chance to express. You both get a chance to release the energy. She may say things that you've never heard. He may say things that you've never heard. You're both going to vent, let it all out. And then when you're done, they'll tell you, I'm done. It's over. I I don't want to say anymore. Or the other person has to ask, do you have anything more to say? Feel free to do it. And when you do, if they say, no, I'm, I'm okay now. And then you let it go for the night, or if it's the day, you let it go. Don't talk about it. Just let it go. If it comes up later from the person who was allowed to vent, if they want to bring it up, great, you can talk about it. But try not to let it escalate. The escalation is when the energy flow interrupts, the emotional energy that's built up inside of you. If you interrupt that, you don't get closure in any interaction, and we don't want that. That's one part of this. <laughs> I know I'm running long, but this is an important topic. So anyone who's made it this far in the show, if you need to hear this, this is for you. The second part of this is taking a huge lesson here. Your wife felt a certain way with this other person, and that way felt good to her. And I'm not talking about the sexual act. We all feel good with sex. I'm sorry. That's just the truth. We all feel good with sex. I mean, there are some relationships where sex doesn't feel good. I'm not talking about that. I'm saying the sexual act itself is supposed to feel good. So, yes, you have those obsessive thoughts. I'm putting them in your mind again. I know you're visualizing them as you listen to this. I'm just making it raw. I'm making it challenging for you. I understand. So now come back, and I want to tell you that there's a way your wife wants to feel with you you. Again, it's not sexual. I mean, it leads to sex sometimes, but what you need to do is figure out how you show up in a way that makes her feel, and I'm just using these words, like a woman. She may not want to feel like a woman. She may want to feel something else, but you need to know how she wants to feel. One of the things I learned in my marriage is that I was showing up as a little boy. I was walking on eggshells. I was the people pleaser. It may not be your same situation, but for me, I was always trying to ask for permission to do things. And 
I just approached her very carefully. I never wanted to make her upset. I never wanted to make her angry. I never wanted her to yell at me. So I would say things in a certain way. And then one day she finally commented on my behavior and she said, you know, I feel like I'm married to a little boy. Those words really struck me hard and I didn't understand what she was talking about. I thought I was doing everything right. I thought I was doing everything nice and kind. I thought that I was the best husband ever. We already know I wasn't. (laughs) But I thought I was doing everything right because of the way I was showing up. But when she said, I I don't want to be married to a little boy. I want somebody who can stand in his own two feet in a comfortable way. And when he wants something, to tell me he wants something. And he doesn't have to ask me for permission. He just says, hey, this is what I'd like to do. And he just shows up more masculine, more in charge of his life, and not so scared around me all the time. And I thought, where is this coming from? I had no idea what she was talking about. But as she talked more and more, I started to see and understand my own behavior and the childlike ways I would show up in the relationship and even the world. This was because I didn't really have personal boundaries. I didn't really uh, stand up for myself. I didn't tell people that they were disrespecting me. I let people walk all over me. That's who I was. And so when she said that I was acting like a little boy, I had to learn how to become a, quote, man. I had to learn how to become masculine. When I did, I started acting in ways that I felt were maybe what she wanted to see in me. And it was very hard. I had to fake it till you make it because I didn't know how to do it. I didn't know how to act like a, quote, man. And so I started doing little things like instead of saying, hey, uh, is it okay if I eat right now? I stopped talking like that. I instead said, hey, I'm going to eat. Do you want anything? And that little shift led to bigger shifts and bigger shifts and made me realize it was okay to be me. And it was okay to want what I want. It was okay to have an opinion, especially one that differed from hers. It was okay to be all these things that I never gave myself permission to be okay with. And she did. She said, I want to be married to a man. And those words really changed my life. And I started honoring myself more. I started respecting myself more. I stepped into my personal power and just started living life a little differently and telling people what I would accept and what I wouldn't accept. And then when people started to walk on me, I would say, nope, that's not acceptable behavior. So here's what you do instead. I just learned how to be respectful toward myself. And that changed my life. And so the reason I'm telling you this is because when my marriage ended, I took all these lessons with me into my future, into any relationship. And I realized that it's a lot better to show up as myself and be myself and tell people who I am and what I like and what I don't like instead of trying to accommodate them. And, you know, there's give and take here and there sometimes, but I used to be the person that said, hey, I'll go anywhere you want. Where do you want to go? And they would say, I don't know, you choose. And then I would say, it doesn't matter to me, you choose. I would never make decisions. I was noncommittal. I would just do whatever, what anybody else wanted. And it kept me three steps away from who I really was. And so when I started changing that and somebody asked me a question like that, I would say, I want to go to this restaurant. Let's do it. And that small shift, again, 
led to bigger shifts. It led to bigger changes. It made me realize I was allowed to be myself. And that was huge for me. So when I got into the relationship that I'm in now, the first time we got into a really big argument and she started, it wasn't even really an argument. She just started saying something that was uh, almost hurtful and disrespectful. And I just said, all right, you need to back off. (laughs) I never said that to any woman in my life. I said, you need to back off because you're being very disrespectful right now. I mean, this is what I teach on the show, but this is the first time I did it to a partner. And she stopped and she paused and she looked at me and she said, okay. (laughs) And she backed off. And in the past, that would have been so scary I couldn't have done it. I would have been so scared to do that because I didn't want to lose the person I was with. I thought if I said something like that, they would certainly get angry with me, yell at me, and, and probably leave me. But when I started doing that, when I started being comfortable in my own skin and telling people what I would and wouldn't accept, and I brought that into my relationship, and you know, I'm not a jerk about it. I just know when the line has been crossed, and I make sure that they don't cross it any further or step back. And that's what I told her. You need to back off. And uh, we had a conversation about it a few days later, and she said, I'm so glad you did that. I think I told this on a previous episode recently. She said, I'm so glad you said that because it showed me that you wouldn't let me steamroll you. It showed me that you had boundaries. It showed me that you were willing to stand up to me, and not many people do that. That makes me feel secure being with you. I'm paraphrasing here, but that's basically what it comes down to. She felt more secure because I showed up as a consistent person. I showed up as someone who's going to tell her like it is. This is how it is. This is what I accept in my life. And if you don't like it, then that's too bad for you. (laughs) She really appreciated that. She wanted someone like that in her life. I'm telling you this, the person who wrote that there's a way that your wife wants to feel that you're probably not able to do or you probably haven't been providing or don't know how to provide. And maybe she can tell you, just like my wife did when I was married and my girlfriend does sometimes. It's good to know how they want to feel so that you know if you can do that for them. Like I remember um, the very first time my girlfriend and I went to a fireworks display, it was at someone's house, and someone lit like some launching fireworks right near us, like 20 feet away. (laughs) And so the first thing, my first instinct wasn't to grab her hand and run away. It was to stand right in front of her, open my jacket and cover her. And I don't know if any hit my back or not, but I know they were going off and I just covered her. Because we knew it was a bad idea that somebody did that right in front of us. I covered her, and uh, this was just when she was getting to know me. And she goes, again, I'm so glad you did that. It made me feel protected. It made me feel safe. It made me feel secure with you. All these feelings that our partners have that they want to feel in your presence, if they don't feel it, things are going to start going awry. There's going to be a divergence in your connection. So this is what I'm talking about, is if your wife isn't feeling the way she wants to feel, maybe she wants to feel like a woman. Maybe she wants you to stand up to someone that 
try to put her down or disrespect her. So you'll go up to them and say, look, you can't treat my wife that way. She's my wife and I love her. Have you ever felt that before? If somebody stood up for you and say, hey, look, leave him alone. This guy doesn't deserve that behavior and you need to back off. I'm not saying it always has to be assertive or aggressive like that. I'm just saying it's important for you to know what your wife is looking for so that you know how to show up. And it may be something inside of you that you haven't addressed yet or, you know, I don't know you from anyone, but maybe this is something that was missing in your relationship for so long. You told me in your email, I didn't read it, that you met and married at a very young age. So it's quite possible that uh, maybe there were some life lessons or personal lessons that weren't learned early on. So you kind of carried some dysfunctions into the relationship. This may be one of those things. But a partner wants to feel a certain way in the relationship. I wouldn't stay in this relationship if my girlfriend did things that made me feel small or stupid or disrespected. I wouldn't stay. This comes back to earlier when I was talking about making the choice to stay with my wife or accept her for who she was or change me. And the first thing I chose in my mind was, I'm going to leave because I don't want to be with somebody who has that behavior. That was my first thought. And I allowed that thought to come into my head. And that is what shifted my mindset to instead of leaving, I chose to accept who she was. That was hard. But then once I made that decision, it was easy because now I accepted who she was and she had no idea who I was after that. But that's how I showed up. Where you two are, the person who wrote this email, you're still in a space where there's so much inside of you that needs to come out. You got to get it all out first. You got to listen to or read my articles on obsession and infidelity. I have a very popular article called Surviving Infidelity. I think it's called A Warning Sign and the Aftermath or something like that. But if you go to my website, theoverwhelmedbrain.com, type in infidelity, you'll find it. And also type in the word obsess, O-B-S-E-S-S, and you will find several articles that I've written or podcast episodes that I've recorded on obsessions. You are experiencing obsessive thoughts and you need to listen to that. In the infidelity article, coming back to that, there is a time period where not only should the cheater stop feeling guilty and stop apologizing, but the person who was cheated on also needs to get past it as well. And I share with you the steps to do that. So that's going to be a big help for you if you haven't read it already. And if you have read it already or listened to that episode, read it again because the steps are in there and the obsession episodes are in there as well. So I've gone way overboard. I've made this a show and a half and I apologize if you're still listening, wondering when this is going to end because either your commute is almost done <laughs> or you're listening to the rest of this on your second commute or doing laundry or trying to fall asleep at night, which some people do. And I'm grateful that they listen to me falling asleep because it's an honor to be in your ear and it's an honor to receive messages like this that um, people share their life story and their challenges and struggles and I can't always get to them in a timely manner. I hope this has been very helpful to you. Thank you so much to the person who wrote in. I wish you much strength through this. I wish you much healing through this. And I again recommend reading my articles and listening to my episodes on obsessive thoughts and obsession. It should help you immensely. And I get where you are. I know what happens. We just can't get those things out of our mind. And you'll hear my thoughts on that. And I hope that helps as well. But everything I've said today, I hope you 
approach with an open mind. This is what helps you step into your power so that you can create the life you want. Always take steps to grow and evolve. You are powerful beyond measure. And above all, and this is something I absolutely know to be true about you, you are amazing. <laughs>